0: Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 163 of Life and Lessons. This week, you're going to hear a conversation I had with Danny Buck. Danny is the founder of Brand Builder, home to brands including Circular, Honu and Crafted London, with annual revenues somewhere close to £20 million. But it hasn't always been this way. Danny's 15 year story is one of twists and turns, with conflict, pressure, introspection and incredible upsides, all part of how he arrived where he is today. Over the next hour, you're going to learn how Danny went from effectively being broke to running highly profitable multi-million pound brands, what Danny thinks people get wrong about him, the realities of happiness and how it's often the simple things which are the most important, and exactly what Danny would do if he had to start a brand new business today with just £1,000. I really enjoyed this conversation. Danny is somebody who I've watched from afar for many years, so having the chance to sit down with him and put to him some of the questions I've always wondered about, have a chat, just speak about things I find interesting was great. I really enjoyed this one and I think you will as well. Before we get into it, just two very quick things to say. Firstly, I finally got around to launching the Just Giving for the Cardiff Half Marathon, which I'm running in October for the Alzheimer's Society. If you've listened to podcast episodes before, you'll know the story, you'll know why I'm doing. it. I don't have time to tell you the full story now. But what I will say is this is the first time that I've pushed it on the podcast. So in the show notes of this episode, there'll be a link to that just giving. If you can click on the link, donate five pounds, 50 pounds, 500 pounds, whatever it is you can. They're doing incredibly important work. I am deep in half marathon training. It's difficult, but I'm having good fun i really appreciate it and secondly just before we get into it if you haven't already do make sure that you're subscribed to life and lessons on spotify or apple Podcasts or wherever it is you're listening to this right now this is just one of many great conversations coming your way between now and the end of the year and you don't want to miss them but in the meantime here it is episode number 163 of life and lessons with danny buck
1: So Danny
0: Buck, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Sorry about all the, uh, the shuffle around and everything like that, but um, it's great to be on.
0: That's good fun. It's good fun. So people look at you, right? They, they see your Instagram posts. They see the headlines about your brands. They see the tens of millions in revenue. They probably even wear your products. And through all of these little data points, they probably get a rough idea of who they think you are. But what do you think people get wrong about you?
1: Wow! Straight in there with uh, the emotional questions uh, or psychological questions. What do I think they get wrong? Uh, I think people think I can be a bit superficial. Actually, sometimes I've heard uh, or seen in the in the comments. Um, But the truth is, I don't. I don't spend money on uh, Ferraris. Um, The only thing I really splash out on is travel. I love I love travel. That's all all I wanted. I crafted a life for myself where I could if i if i feel like going away i can go away if i feel like visiting the maldives i'll go to the maldives well people think that is um, me showing off sometimes but that's not me showing off that's that is just the fruits of my labor that's what i wanted this is the life that i wanted i've i've made it i've created a culture in in work uh that people have, can do the same thing if they want if they want to leave and go on a a three week holiday they can as long as the work gets done there's no there's no requirements to be in a in a, a certain space especially with video technology and things like that now so i think maybe maybe that would be a point but as um well uh, people won't know this yet but i've not heard these questions before so that's just hit me with um want to uh, throw me at the back of my chair.
0: So there's there's a reason I asked this, right? I know that we, I normally start off lightly and I'm like, Oh, tell me about your story. But the reason I wanted to start there is because I'll be honest with you. I think that perhaps I was guilty of misreading you slightly until I went into this big research project of working out what to speak about today. Right. I didn't quite realize how long the journey has been for you to get to this point, just how many twists and turns there were. And frankly, just how much of a struggle it sounds like it has been over the past 15 or so years just to get to this point where those Instagram posts exist. So perhaps you can take me back. How did we get to this point here?
1: Um, 22, left uni, um, got a job, um, expected um, because I had a degree. I thought I was going to get a high salary. I didn't. Um, I got a a customer support job, um, very junior, very basic uh, entry level. And the company which hired me... um, Long story short, I basically went through a range of motions and um, went from customer support onto sales and then um was in charge of a whole department and then decided I was going to leave. Um another person in that department said they would like to leave with me to start this business, this agency, our own marketing agency. Uh and the directors of that company said, Um, do you want to buy it from us? So I was twenty-two at this. so 21 when I got the job, sorry, 22 when I um when I left. And um and we said, Great, okay, what, what is it? And they wanted a six-figure sum. So we're like, we don't have six figures. I'm just out of university. So we shuffled around. We got um, some um, some funding. We got uh, a loan from the bank. We got a loan from a special investment fund from Europe. This all required loads of business plans, all these sorts of stuff, which is just obviously wrong because you, you can't think five years in advance. Um, so we did all these things anyway and then got um, got this cash together. But the smart thing that we did was we um, we did a deal with them to pay them over two years. So what that allowed us to do is we had the cash in the bank to build the business but we also got um we got paid um through retainers and stuff through the marketing company so we had cash flow we had capital cash flow and we could um we could repay this company for the the acquisition. So I learned a lot that year 20 22 23 learned so much about business and way a, a billion times more than I did in my degree um and then Again, fast forwarding the agency, uh, it went from, there was about three or four of us, I think, at the start, and then it went to 105, 110 staff, something like that, with um, a board and an operational board, way too corporate. And uh, I had clients who you would have heard of, some fast fashion clients, um, and then some other clients which are massive, but no one had ever heard of them. One company doing $2 billion revenue, and no one had ever heard of them. They're like a finance company. And we were doing their digi- digital strategies. Um, and some of these companies were doing massive numbers, twenty million thirty million turnover, and they had like twenty staff and We had all this staff and we were doing four million at the time i was like this, this there's a bigger world out here. I'm going to the same office every single day, I'm sick of doing the same thing i want i want to kind of break from the monotony so we so i sorry this is this was just me at this point um essentially kind of fell out with the board um left and agreed to sell my shares so at this point, this was—I was I always forget the dates now. Twenty sixteen, something like that, maybe, maybe fifteen, sixteen, maybe seventeen. I can't remember. Around that time, and um, we, me and Amy, we're kind of in a place where we're like, right. So we don't know what we're doing next. We just know we want to do a brand, and a brand which does all these millions, which other these retail re- online retailers are doing. So we did that. We then, um, had some, um, some savings, we got some more loans, uh, and we went all in on a brand called circular. So this is after I'd left. Um, this is in the summer. Um, it was June, July and, uh, by October, November, uh, the, the rumors had started coming out that the agency was, that was, uh, was paying me. Uh, so they, they, what I'd sold my shares to, it was, they did the same sort of thing as me where they, they amortize the deal so it's paid monthly paid back monthly so um they were going to put themselves into administration and do what's known as a pre-pack and pop up somewhere else or something else and remove the debt so i me and that's what they did so they they closed it down got rid of a bunch of debt i was one of those debtors and um they popped up as another company um left me with nothing um but debts and loans to pay uh so this was this was the january let's call it seven yeah let's call it 17 i think it might have been 18 sorry about the dates so i've just not just um got confused over the years um so we kind of in this january and it was it was terrible we were i mean that was we were rock bottom i wouldn't say depressed because i've always kind of had quite a lot of self belief and things like that but we were we were pretty down we kind of didn't know what to do we we had no idea how we were going to create a business which would not only just make a profit but actually repay like 300,000 i think it was um so i i went back to consulting and i set up this thing called brand builder and we started doing brand builder plans and that was that was just brilliant like thinking back it was it was really good i got to speak to business owners again and i was writing business plans for 250 quid for these people business plan stroke um, digital digital strategies uh and it was great it um you know we're doing i think we got to like 5 or 6000 a month it was paying um for the mortgage and the cars and all the other stuff that you have and just living, uh, and repaying the debt. Uh, and along this journey, so as document part of the brand builder strategy was to like, uh, put everything on social media. We did all that, uh, including Snapchat. There's all, that was, that was quite good actually for us at the time. And then we, we kind of come up with the idea. Let's, let's start a brand from scratch and record it. Um, we did that with Shop Honu, which is still or Honu, um, which is still there now, and that became profitable straight away. So we had the consulting money, and we had Honu's profit. Um, Circular wasn't profitable, and we got we got kind of not I wouldn't say reputation, but we were building a little bit of a personal brand. Looking back, it wasn't called that at the time, but it was actually building a personal brand, sharing all the stuff, and it seemed to it seemed to attract positivity um so we did youtube so doing all this sort of stuff and then out of this came an approach from alex cannon um to do a men's jewelry brand with us and <coughs> the rest is history so that that brand was all crafted and from that point there that made money immediately and then went on to do big money really fast and from that point on it's been it's been okay like crafted has has done amazing Um the other brands have had their ups and downs uh, mainly because of average order values and things like that, they're much lower, and cost prices after iOS uh, nineteen, iOS fourteen, um, have gone um, a bit skyward. So, um, so they they've had different strategies and stuff like that, but Crafted's been able to just sail through the the whole time. Um, yeah, that kind of brings us to today in a long way. Sorry I, again, I always go on about that story.
0: So, something that intrigues me about that story and it's something that I don't think I've heard you touch on before in any level of detail is take me back to the place where you've you've left uni you've taken on this uh, wing of a business you've started your own agency it's growing you're in theory at least living the dream right especially during those days where you know agencies with a high headcount is considered success right every other metric on the internet seemed to not matter so you built this identity around being somebody who has built successfully a big agency now there must've been this kind of, this underlying tension before you came to the point where you're like, you know what, I'm out. I'm gonna go and do my own thing. At what moment did you realize actually enough is enough? And do you remember, I appreciate it was a few years ago, what that day was like? Where was your mind at, at the time?
1: Yeah, you never, uh, you never forget how, how you felt, uh, when, especially when it's something so significant. So I remember it. I remember the first kind of murmurs of it. Uh, I felt a little bit ambushed in the board, uh, in in a boardroom once because I was going to the gym. I was getting in the office at quarter past eight and the other guys were in at half seven. And because I was going to the gym, they didn't like that I was late. And I was thinking, I'm here before 80% of the team. Why why do I need to be at half seven? And it was something so stupid, like timekeeping. So at that point I thought, right, so this is going a bit, this is going a bit silly here. Um, and a part of this was my, my role in, in the company was sales. So I had a ridiculous 300 and something thousand sales target a month. Never missed it. Not not once, never missed it. And no matter what, it didn't matter what time I was in the office. If I came in, did one deal and went home, it actually didn't matter because I did my job. And this is the point I was trying to put across and they just thought it doesn't look good on the staff or these things like corporate culture we're trying to get and just bollocks. So um, I am. Um, that was the first point and then after that it just got worse it was more of those why you're not as involved as us and, and all this sort of stuff and i kind of went into that and it it was just becoming it was becoming toxic i think it was the end but it was the end of year before this happened but we kind of went through it and went through it and went through it to try and get the agency to a point of sale but um it was yeah it was toxic i think that was it
0: how did you feel in the moments after you made that or well, not made the decision but spoke to people about your decision because uh, an interesting recurring theme that i find of guests on this podcast no matter their background no matter their story is when they come to this kind of inflection point that they're perhaps dreading or it's this big deal it seems like almost immediately afterwards their life is great again if that makes sense like there's always build up and then suddenly they have this freedom how did you feel once you had told the board told the guys you know what i'm out
1: so it became quite hostile at the end actually um so there's a lot of um just Sh- shouting and things like that. Um, a lot of high stress. Uh, I was, in a way, I could handle. I could like handle stress a lot easier back then. Like now, I, I just—it's not that I can't handle it. I'm, I like pressure and things like that, but I just—I don't see the point in it. So I just—I just don't get involved in it. Whereas back then, I was like, "Great, a fight! I'm up for a fight." Um, so it was—it was kind of that period there. It was just nothing was moving forward. Nobody was winning. It was the right time to separate. And when, when it actually happened, I think I played golf with my dad for like three months during the week, you know, stuff like that, just little things like that. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. this, this is good. I mean, I, was, uh, I had my earnout my out, is what it was called. Um, but, you know, it was good. It was, it, was, it was probably the first, since 22 to 30, 31 of age, um, it was probably the first proper break I had. Because even when I was on holiday, I was working. Whereas this was like the first proper proper break, <clears throat> so I got time to I got time to innovate, I got time to read, I got time to think without thinking about the business. And in in reflection, actually, I've never had that in my life. Only that period there. I've still not got it now. Because even when we go away now, in um, with my wife, and because the company's owned by the two of us, we still talk about work. So I think the next that, that little that little break when there's there's no work you know if you can be fortunate enough to have cash um is actually a, a a luxury
0: and then something else that i find interesting in that kind of middle part of the journey right before you're doing the brand builder plans you've got these commitments the cash isn't coming in from the deal when you exited the business there's a there's a gap that you need to bridge right and most people in a situation like that will just flap and they'll panic and they'll blame and they'll look for excuses or exits but it seems like you were very pragmatic, at least how you tell the story now, right? It seems very calculated. Okay, we need to make X shortfall. How do we do that? Let's go about doing it. And you just took action. Do you have any kind of mental tools that you can talk through that people might be able to use if they're in similar situations in life, right? How do you find the clarity to zoom out and be like, okay, I need to do X, Y, Z to fix this problem. Let's go and fix it.
1: So we were in too deep on on a debt level to, to get a job. I, we believed, and when we spoke about it, it's like, do we get jobs? Um, well, how are we going to get a job that not only pays us, pays the bills, and pays the debt? <clears throat> so we needed a mechanism, i.e. a company, a, um, a business, which would allow cash flow to pay pay down debt, create assets, re- refinance debts, all of those sorts of things. Because banks wouldn't have touched us at this point. You know, the, I don't think we we're at the point of... Bankruptcy, but you know, at some point in the journey, if we would have got jobs, I think that that could have been that could have been uh, something. um We had the house, we had some equity in the house, but it wasn't three hundred grand. It was it was it was less than that. So um the main thing was like right. So we don't have an option here. We have to create something. So what do we know? We know e commerce. We know marketing. We know digital strategy. Let's pull this together. Let's try and do something because Amy's um, background, she has done e commerce as well before. Um, and that was it. So we just put our heads together, like what do we know? How did and the main thing which I, I would I'd like people to take on board is is what we did for Shoppony was the best way to start a brand. We didn't chase revenue, we just needed profit. So if you think the maximum profit in the in the UK you can make, um maximum gross profit would be without tax. So no VAT. So we thought, right, well, let's keep this under the VAT threshold for now. And that's how we did it. So we were like, so it's under the VAT threshold. We don't want to go over it because if we go over it, that means we lose 20%. So then we've got to do X amount extra to then get that same level. So let's just, let's just work that bit out. And that's what we did. And, you know, it was like, let's say three to 5,000 or something like that of profit you could make without going over the VAT threshold. Um, so that that was the main thing. It was <laughs> it was looking at what we knew um, going deep into it. And making sure um, once we once we've made the call that actually we can't get jobs, we, people will look at this and say we could have got jobs and I could have worked hard and I could have got up to like another 200 grand, 300 grand salary or something like that. But that takes way longer than it does for the debt repayments and things like, you know, that, that's that's that would have been I, I felt would have been harder to do than than my route because of the experience before it.
0: You mentioned there, Amy, um, and I really want to ask this because it intrigues me, right? I look at particularly young guys, particularly young guys in spaces like Ecom, right? And they're absolutely convinced that they need to be this lone warrior. They need to be single. They can't possibly be even going on dates, right? Because if they're going to get their head down and focus and be in monk mode, they just need to be alone. But the two of you have clearly built this business together over a long period of time, right? And it sounds like it's very much like the two of you are partners in everything and each of your success is somewhat dependent on the other person's input. So talk to me about that dynamic. You've, you've built a business with your wife in a space where lots of people are convinced they can't even
1: speak to girls
0: if they're going to be successful. Right. Tell me about the dynamic.
1: It's one less thing to think about. I think (laughs) to be honest, you've got, you know, get, um, well, first up, it's an amazing relationship. Um, we met when we were eighteen before any of this started. Anyway, um, we've we've both found um, our in-laws incredibly supportive. Um, we all get on as a as a six, you know. If we if we would go out together and things, and you know, sort of incredibly rare things like that, I think have helped long term. Um, our relationship is great. If something pisses off about the other, we set we we have that conversation immediately. There's no um, there's no animosity. It's it's just we, we, I think we, we want the same things out of life, which is see the world, make money, and see the world. That, that is, that's what we've always wanted as, as a couple. We love, we love the travel side of it. So that is kind of our, our hybrid, if you like. So it's not like a hundred percent work all the time. It's like at some stages, um, you have, you do have to shut down. Um, it's the most recent time we've been away, but like the Maldives was a great example of it, like. We you can't get your laptop out while she's swimming with manta rays. So it's like we're doing things which we love as a couple and you know, then we'll go back after that and we'll get our laptops out by uh, in the pool bar. So it's I think I think the the secret is no know, know where the know where the time to stop working is. Um be supportive around stress. Be supportive um um around complacency. And and just I mean, have downtime. Have work time, but have downtime. And and to be honest, like we do like I'll go I'll go places in the week and she'll go places separate places in the week and we'll meet up and we'll we'll still do normal couple things and ask about how the day went. It's just the fact that she might have been working on one company whilst I was working on a different company. Um but yeah, we do, you know, we just we have our our regular um boring things which are our luxuries which make us happy coffee together in the morning glass of wine at night going out for meals all that sort of stuff so i just think once you once you understand what makes you happy as a couple not just individual do them more and um and then i think be supportive in in times of um when when the other's character trait can um can kind of go off especially with me and things like that so yeah i think that's it
0: Something you mentioned there is that the two of you love to travel. What did you learn from Eastern culture?
1: Oh, it's a great question. Uh, It absolutely changed everything for me. So when we went to Bali for the first time, um, I was obsessed with how happy they are with so little, but also their way of how can I help you rather than how can I get something more for myself? So before that holiday, I wanted Lamborghinis and Ferraris and I had um, a Jaguar F type R and like sports cars. I thought that was success. And then after that, I just lost complete interest in sports cars or superficial things. Anything that loses money, that doesn't necessarily, it might give you pleasure, but doesn't, doesn't give you fulfillment. And I think what I learned from that, that trip was you know, what do I actually want out of life properly? It's not like finding myself or any of that cheesy shit. It's more like what do I actually want and i started thinking about um fulfillment and what what actually would give me a sustainable lifestyle i think that that was uh if anyone's not been to that side of the world and met what i think are the best people in the world then i'd encourage to do it it does change and i'm sure everyone that's been to these places would actually agree with it i think i've i have heard other people say similar things
0: and so, with that culture running through your mind, what what kind of changes did you implement very quickly? Right, what were like the you get home, you're like, okay, I'm inspired by this. I'm going to do X, Y, Z because I want to live my my life closer to to those people.
1: It's just it's mainly um, a possessions thing. I stopped trying to buy and consume and uh, and and start to find happiness in in things like taste, <laughs> just sim- simple like the joys of life that that. Uh, free if you like um, but obviously a nice meal doesn't isn't free um, but you know think just just simple things like that and, and then i think you learn about um the basics and your basics specifically so for me I, I i can find great pleasure in sitting on my own or sitting on a balcony looking at the sea and just having a glass of wine you know some sort more than more than likely with music on but you know that sort of thing will give me way more pleasure than the third month in a lamborghini and i think that was that was the um that's kind of the thinking so you know i think it's a tim ferris concept that you can you can calculate the cost of your ideal life and for most people it's actually a lot cheaper than they think and that um and that was it uh, but building um is is, is still a, is still a big thing for me I, I love growth and i love make making sure things are moving forward so when when I'm going backwards, I, I have to, I think that's probably still the capital capitalist in me or the, uh, the Western in me. Um, I still have to, I still have to build. I'm not just going to monk out or Zen out and just chill with what I've got. I still feel, um, and I don't know, I hate the word, but like an entrepreneurial side um, for growth. So I think having a having hybrid is is fantastic, but learning from their culture there. Uh, Eastern culture is incredible. And I do find them the best people in the world.
0: So correct me if these two points are entirely unrelated, but I know that you were building a new house and then the two of you have now moved back into the apartment. So you've almost scaled back, right? You've realized like you touched on in your answer there, that there are certain things that can add to your happiness that are material. And there are certain things that can't. You tweeted a few days ago that there is a short story that you'll tell one day regarding the new build, the house, and all of that. Is is now the time for the short
1: story? What's the story there? I was being encouraged by a certain person to share it um, on Twitter. Um, So, yeah, all right, why not? So, basically, we this is complacency for you here, right? Had a fourth, I think it was a fourth year. Yes, a fourth year of Crafted, doing incredible numbers, which changed our life, changed mine and Alex and Amy's, and I'm sure Alex's family's lives. And my parents' lives. My dad got a season ticket, so it changed everybody's lives. And we we got to the point where it was repeatable. Um, and the way that we set the company up, we we don't um, pay ourselves massive wages. It's through distributions, and uh, and then we do investments. So I have a, a large offshore wine collection. And certain people go for watches or whatever they want to invest in. No problem at all. But wine outperformed all of them, and. I was making, I was making money on money basically, um, which can't necessarily like take take out because the tax system and things like that and how it's. I wouldn't, um, I don't really take it out. So if you look at me personally, I don't earn a lot of money, but my wealth is quite quite large now. So we got to this point, and we're like, great, we're well, we've we're not just rich, we have actually accumulated wealth. So what do we do next? We get a house, because that's the normal thing to do. So we're like, right, okay, if we're going to do a house, so we're going to build a house, we're going to put a wine cellar in it, we're going to do this with the bedroom, we're going to have amazing en-suites, we're going to have massive TVs, we're going to have blah, 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 blah all this thing. So we did this, went through the motions, um, drew down some money. Um, the amount of tax that we paid on, the amount of stamp duty plus tax that we paid to get that money and the house, sorry. We could have rented the apartment for 12 years. and. We were, we were there, like, and we were in this area basically. It's in in um, it was a, there's like a couple of new builds as well. So it was like it was a good scheme for us because the developer would let us do whatever we want, um, but it already had planning permission. So and there's a couple of others around there, and we got in and it's just building site. So we're in this building. We come from this lovely place where we live now in Manchester, and um, there's wonderful people here. Great mix, actors, um, footballers, all of this. Like, it's probably the best place, I think, to live in the North. And we left there and we went to a country, uh, the country. And we were in the house um, first week. And me and Amy were just looking at us like, looking at each other like, can't walk the dog, can't walk to a pub. Uh, Manchester City Centre's an hour away. Windy roads, like literally instant, almost instant regret. Like, what are we doing? But we've got a nice kitchen though. So then it was, it was one of those... For a while, it was, we've got, a, it was somewhat like a, God, maybe like a 12 foot marble kitchen top. So we're like, yeah, but we spent all this money on this kitchen. We should, we should just stick it out. And we did it. I think we stuck it out for four months and then we were like, nope, we're out of here. Um, so we, we did it for happiness. We've, we've come back to the apartment we're in now. It's, uh, I mean, compared to the house, maybe an eighth um, of the size, maybe a sixth. Um and yeah, instant happiness. It's ridiculous. And it and we realise we've got the same things in here, but they're smaller. Um so still got a, a nice kitchen, but it's smaller. Um we've got one spare room instead of four, but we never had anyone to stay. And even in it like other places, we've only ever had one person stay. So it's stupid things like that. You know, why do you need four spare rooms and all that sort of stuff? So um the The short story is we were happy where we were. We did what we thought was next. We skinted ourselves, if you want to say that, by wasting a load of money on tax and stamp duty. And then we've moved back here anyway because we were happier. So now it's a case of what do we do? And it looks like it could be an incredible stroke of luck in the form of a buy to let. So we're going to convert it into a rental property. Whoever gets that's got a six-figure kitchen as part of their rental included now. So if you're interested and you're listening to this podcast, feel free to reach out. Um but yeah, it's um it's it's a lesson. It's a lesson of complacency. We thought we had to do something because it was just going great. And what we did as a byproduct was we fucked our happiness up. You
0: say it's a lesson in complacency, but as we as we track back the, the story that you've just told, right, it seems like you're Willing to do U-turns when you become complacent, right? If you look at the job at twenty-two, where you could have just stayed in that department and done your thing, even if the directors weren't listening to what you wanted to do with the agency and the headcount, you could have just got your head down and you know had this cash flow business and taken the money in, drawing out all this cash to build this home to then realise you're not happy there. Is there something within you that is driven by? happiness more than anything else right by this feeling of momentum more than anything else because more than anybody's story i've ever heard you seem so willing to be like you know what this isn't working let's do a 180 let's go again
1: what's the alternative
0: i think the alternative is what most people take though isn't it that most people get too comfortable too soon they settle and before they know it i imagine they're 52 and their time's up and so that's why i find it so interesting because i try and preach this like just keep doing right. Be on the side of taking action. Just, just put yourself in uncomfortable situations. But frankly, most people, business owners and employees alike, just don't do that.
1: I think if, if you find that all you're doing is moaning, so in, in our house, all we and it sounds like a, a, a rich man problem, and I, I know, but it's my, it's my life, it's my, it's my problem. We were in that house and we hated it and we were unhappy and we were moaning about it every day. So why, why do five years of that? Why? Why go and be unhappy for five years? If you can, of course, I understand that. You know, if it was a bit a bit mad that, that we've done it, but I just I don't I don't for me anyway. If you can, never it, you'll 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 spot the signs of. It you might see it in your partner. You might see it because Amy was ten times worse than me as well. Um, that you just you're constantly moaning you're constantly talking about, oh, I wonder what that's ha- going over there, or I wonder what that job's like, or how about that? And you know that, you know it at that point that something's wrong. And I feel like it's that at that point there where excuses need to become action. And if you step forward and you do it, yes, you are a high percentage, a low percentage, and uh, but, but be, be that person, just find, find out how, um, find out what makes you happy find out what makes you unhappy which a lot of people don't do they find they're constantly seeking happiness but what about studying unhappiness and and make a choice and you can you can carry on that's your choice but you need to find happiness in that choice if you decide to stay in the job or you decide to stay in the house you've got to stick with that decision because it's not healthy to continue moaning it's not healthy to to just constantly think about what the other person's doing or the other life that you could have lived
0: There's this interesting concept. I don't know who originally came up with it, but I know that George McGill speaks about it a lot. This idea that um, rather than trying to plan your life for happiness per se, just look at everything that you know would make you unhappy, right? Become sleep deprived, eat shit food, be in a job you hate, uh, stay in a relationship that doesn't make you happy, and then just invert that. Um, I think there's a lot to be said there about rather than chasing this kind of wishy-washy idea of happiness that you can never really grab onto, just do exactly what you said, right? Just cut out the things that you objectively know are making you miserable
1: and you're like 90% of the way there. I think I heard, I can't remember who said it. Um actually I think you said it, but someone said that happiness is, is is a scam. Um and that it's about it's just about regular um regular like happiness can come from joy or purpose or these sorts of things it's a scam but it's it's just it's regular day-to-day choices. And if if you sat so if I'm sat here going this is the most boring podcast I hate it it's like why am I why am I doing podcasts as an example I hate podcasts why am I doing podcasts so the next time if I'm doing a podcast and then I moan about it it's like you've got to you've got to understand what makes you happy like for me I I like doing I'm just going on about podcasts now but like I I like doing podcasts because I like to share what's going on in my life or I like to help some someone who's doing a new podcast or I, I find fulfilment in it so does that make me happy? Um, I, I guess so. I guess that makes, that makes me happy. But if, if I didn't like doing them, I would, I wouldn't do them. But I think, I think that's why I, something that I I've, I believe I've always done in my life is like, what do I, what do I dislike? And I avoid what I dislike. And then in, like you said before, invertedly, that kind of makes me happy, but I've never, I wouldn't ever say that at that point, I'm really happy today because I'm not doing things. It's more, I don't do the things I don't like. I I regularly do the things which I find joy out of. And then the byproducts of all of that, you would say is happiness. I think
0: there's the, uh, I'm, I'm famous for misattributing quotes. So I'm just going to give it to the person who I heard say it last, which is Chris Williamson. He loves to use this quote of, if you're not happy with a cup of coffee, you're not going to be happy on a yacht, right? <laughs> and ambassador. Chris is the OG of podcasting. We love him. Um, but, you essentially embody that idea, right? Because two things you've just said during our conversation. The first is that you and Amy have small things that give you happiness in the day-to-day. And an example you used is literally having a coffee in the morning, whilst in the same breath saying this yeah. massive, huge home that people think brings happiness didn't. It's so interesting to, to just be able to hear that actualized, right? Because it's all it, most people say this conceptually. They say, oh, big things won't make you happy. But you're like, no, I've been there. They didn't make me happy. Give me the cup of coffee.
1: Exactly. Can I pause one second? Go My on. dog has just arrived. Sorry, sorry. Let's see if he. Uh, <laughs> let's see if he le- leaves us alone for a little bit. Uh, what's his name? He's called Banks, and he's a he's a he's a very annoying stroke. The best dog in the world. Dash
0: So on this topic of happiness, um, to be honest, I didn't even mean to go into the massive rabbit hole we just had. I'm glad we did. But there's a question I wanted to ask. Right on this big whole journey, um, at what point? What what was the happiest day, right? Can you, can you go back to a day where you're like, that was a huge unlock. I feel like something really changed that day. I'd love to go back to that day. Which of those days was the happiest?
1: I mean, it's the ticket off. It's got to be, it's got to be the, the wedding, the wedding day, of course. But in terms of, was the question aimed at like more work, working anything as in, is there
0: a day where you're like, that was incredible. I'd love to go back there and live that day over and over again.
1: I'd, honestly, no. I can't think of a day. Um, more, um, probably more, have more like checkpoints and and kind of like periods and stuff like that. I'd, I'd say. Um, Twitter, in a w- real weird way, and this is this is this is not great. But like um, lockdown, the first lockdown was an amazing period for for us. That was when. I think craft, crafted sales like times ten in a month, um, and it made us millionaires. Um, just one June, I think. Some one, one May, I think it was. It was May, yeah, May. Um, and at that point there, that was the that was, that was incredible. I think that's pro- probably a highlight, yeah, because we had um small small team. We all celebrate together. We all like. We knew it was coming, like, that we were going to hit this particular um, one million month, I think it was. And um, we all got cigars and whiskey and all just sat around on, um, on Zoom and all, like, cheers about all the hard work and stuff. And it was just that – was, that was cool. That was, that was a really cool time, I think. The, the, the company then – because that, kind of, that kind of built the company culture in a weird way. It was all uh, remote like that, and it showed that we could do it whilst in lockdown, which means out of lockdown we can still run a company. Uh, And that still lives on today. So probably that, 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 that time there, first lockdown, that was brilliant. Um, and then we had a couple of, we had like, a I think in 21, was it 21? We had, um, we had a period of just win after win after win. So like, we just, we had like a great sales month. We got featured in the Sunday times. We did a billboard that we got on sky news. And, um, I did a BBC interview, um, we just like, we had this period it was 21 where things were just going like perfect. Um, And yeah, I think, I think just that, like I say, it's probably like those sorts of checkpoints are just areas. I think rather than specific days, because I don't know about you, but I don't really feel like I have like a really happy day and then a not so happy day. I kind of have like times, I think to like, I'd have like a two week kind of burnout where I'm like, I'm done in and I'm training hard and I'm knackered and, all of those. I'm just like, and Amy will be like, you've been moaning a lot last week or something like that. And it'd be like, yeah, I don't feel very motivated at the moment. Yeah. And it'd be one of them. It'd be like like a week or something, I think, rather than a day.
0: A friend of mine, Peter Watson speaks about this idea. um, that when you run a business, it's almost like you go through all of the shit, scary situations once and they're terrifying. You go through all of the amazing ups once and they're incredible. But then after that, you just kind of Sit in the middle, right? The good balances out the bad. You realize that every day has, like, for example, yesterday we got some news that wasn't ideal, but then straight away afterwards I went out and I ran my first 5K, right? And those two things seem so disconnected, but they mean that the day was fairly neutral. And finding a way to find your way through that, in as much as you're staying balanced, I think is the trick far more than trying to have day after day be incredible.
1: Yep. Yeah. Because when you don't have, you have a day where it's not incredible, you think it's a bad day. Exactly. When in fact, it was actually, it was a better day than two years ago.
0: And that's the other thing. This is interesting, actually. Do you find yourself struggling to keep the perspective of how far you've come so quickly in as much as if there's, I don't know what your day-to-day looks like, right? But you click onto Shopify and you're having a month that's like in the red compared to a few months ago, but it's like 500% higher than it was two years ago. Are you able to still keep that perspective of, okay, yes, I still want to keep high standards. I still want to push forward, but... I need to remember that we've come an incredibly long
1: way. Always push for growth. I have uh, that. That for me is probably my best and worst quality. I, I hate going backwards. My um, my football team of choices, Man United. I watched them growing up as a kid. Um, we won everything. Alex Ferguson's mentality was attack. He would every now and again he would know when to slow down. And he'd know when to put five midfielders on and one striker. But his is. All in all, he won games with worse players in the opposition because they went, they went for it. And I feel that, for me, is something I'll never, ever, ever stop doing until I'm removed as CEO. Anyway.
0: So I've got two questions I want to end on. Um, the second is very introspective. I'm hoping that it will cause some deep thoughts. But the first, I think that there's going to be a cohort of people listening who wouldn't forgive me if I didn't ask this right. Because... Given your position in the e-commerce space, you naturally attract lots of people who have an aspiration to build an e-commerce brand. And we all see the blueprints of how to do it wrong, right? It's buy a course off the internet and get some shit from Alibaba and put up some random page and just kind of hope for the best of a brand that's copying a brand that's already established. But let's say that everything's wiped out today and through some weird twist of fate, you have, I don't know, a thousand pounds in the bank. And you and Amy need to begin again, right? You need to go really scrappy, but you need to do it properly. Not listening to the courses, not listening to the bros on Twitter who don't know what they're talking about, but using everything that you've learned over the past decade plus, how would you go
1: again? It's good. Um, it's, in a, it's in a period of transition, isn't it? Um, I'd still back Facebook ads, definitely. Um, but let me think, so £1,000, it wouldn't leave me a lot for ads, would it? Um, so obviously Shopify. I would still stick with Shopify. I would um I would look at so from a product perspective, I would start with small skew count. Don't go twenty products. Don't do rings with loads of variants. Just go as, as small as you possibly can. Crafted started with two products. People don't know this. It was actually one product and two colours as well. Um Honu started with a bunch of animal jewellery. Um sea turtle. We didn't even know it was going to be sea. C- it was just named after sea turtles. It wasn't, we didn't think it'd become like somewhere people bought sea turtle jewelry from. Um, I would, I would find a micro niche. So I'd look at a trend at the moment. What are people actually doing? I'd find the moment and I'd start to develop a persona around messaging the moment. So I'd, I'd, I'd work out what, what is interesting at the moment? What is topical? What are people doing? What are people looking to buy? Um, I mean, you could even say it's like the fidget spinners and stuff like that. Like there was still, that was product mainly, but like a problem solution, like I tweeted about Colgate the other day, inventing bad breath. No one, everyone knew there was something unpleasant, but they didn't know it was called bad breath. And Colgate said, something along the lines of sick of bad breath, here's our solution. So it's like understanding problem solution, customer psychology, do all that. It's all free. It's just research and then create a product that solves it. Go low skew count, try and get something that fits through the post if you need to, because it'll save you a lot of money in postage. And I would then start to create content on TikTok and Reels because that's free. Um, I'd do it as minging as you possibly can and get it out there and just keep doing it five times a day, a hundred times, whatever you can actually do. Just get it out there, see what happens. And then when you get something that sticks from the free, I'd put it through. Um, I'd put the concept through some hook testing on ads. And that's probably, that's probably what I do.
0: I want to end on a big question. And you can, you can make your answer as short or as long as you want. Um, but you and I have almost exactly 10 years separating us. I was born in 95. I believe you were born in 85. Is that right? I had to check company's yeah, house to work that right. out. I knew you were roughly that age. Um, so I am in this period of life now. Thanks for. <laughs> I'm in this period of life now where I'm looking towards being 30, right? And a decade of my life is coming to an end. Another one's about to begin. I'm being quite reflective and trying to work out who do I want to be when I reach 30, which I'm sure sounds ridiculous to you because you're probably thinking you're so young, stop thinking about that. But I'm really trying to focus in on like, what do I want this decade to have been about and who do I want to be when I enter that new decade? You're coming up for 40. I can get away with saying that without you moaning at me, uh, making you feel old. Um, What are you doing right now? Which when you get to 40, you think will be a regret if you don't change something now you think actually i wish i had done x or not done y and what can you do between now and then to make sure that you don't reach 40 with that regret
1: so firstly let me just touch on your views as a 20 year old so my views is when i was at the same uh, age as you i knew at 30 was coming up i was petrified of turning 30 actually petrified i did not want to turn 30 it was a new digit and I, my goal was, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. I didn't hit that goal. Um, I had my agency and I thought that's what was going to make me a millionaire. And if it sold it, that could have been possible. Um, but when I got to 30, I oh, sorry, when it was, so when 29 and 364 days, we were off So we went off to Dubai because I didn't want to, I didn't want to have a party. I didn't want to, I didn't feel successful and I wanted to hide. Um, and I, on my 30th birthday my mum and dad flew out and surprised me and my best mate flew out and surprised me um and everyone was there and I was like that that even though I felt commercially um I wasn't a success I I remember that being such a touching like amazing moment and I was like and then nothing changed after that point and then I became a millionaire a couple of years later so like I put too much pressure on myself to the fact that I didn't hit the goal and I actually felt uh, unhappy about it so I don't, if, if you don't hit your goal by the time you turn 30, you can still hit it by the time you're 32. So like, it doesn't mean it's, you, you're not a success. So I'd, I'd take, if you can't, from what I did, I'd take the pressure off yourself and the fact that goal, the goal is never ending anyway, because now, so you hit, it become a millionaire and you're like, great, I want a hundred million. You're like, why do I want a hundred million? If you actually check, check in on yourself and go that, it's like, be- because it's bigger than 1 million like you know like do do I really want that do, do I like you see some people saying that they want to go for a billionaire I actually I don't want to become a billionaire if it happens it happens but I don't want to be a billionaire because that will take an immense amount of stress an immense amount of years of my life potentially and um and I'm not I'm not good at apps so I'm probably not going to be able to just do it quite quickly in a couple of years so to answer your question, um, to go into it, sorry. Um, what would I regret? I think I would regret if I if I fucked it all up. I think if I carry on and I um I'll, I've got the dog here, sorry. If I um if I carry on and I go and I, and I do everything I'm doing now that makes me happy. I travel, I see the world like I'd like to see the world. Um, I got to forty and I'm I'm still going. And I'm still doing everything I want. And I've got an incredible team who are all earning good wages or making a lot of money. I've hopefully made my parents rich. And, um, and I'm living a, a simple but fulfilled and wine-fueled life. I think I'd will be that. i feel good. At, but there's no pressure going on me for 40. The, pr- the pressure is to just to grow, but don't fuck it all up. Amazing,
0: Danny. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. If people want to go elsewhere to find your stuff to hear some more of your thoughts, where can
1: they go? Uh, I'm mostly active on Twitter and Instagram stories. So, Twitter, it's uh, the handles the Danny Book, and it's the same on Instagram. It's at the Danny Book. Uh, I should do more on TikTok, but we get busy, don't we? Unfortunately.